Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now your co-host, MC Money, serving the creepy soccer dad and house empty. Hello and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is MC Money joined here by Certain the Creepy Soccer Dad and Houts MD. We are coming to you for the second time this week. Ladies and gentlemen, get used to this. This is going to be our new format as we have announced over and over and over again. Coming to you Wednesday mornings with the addition of Finsider Radio that previews the upcoming game, which is which was followed by or preceded by whatever way you want to look at it, a recap game from the previous game. So Usually Sunday nights, we'll be releasing the recap game from the Dolphins game that day. In the Titans situation, it was a bit odd because of the lengthy game, and no one wanted to listen to a Dolphins podcast Sunday evening, so we released it on Monday evening. This one coming Wednesday morning, but moving forward, Sunday night, Wednesday morning, that's going to be our schedule. The Dolphins, of course, coming off a 27-20 victory over the Tennessee Titans in the longest game in NFL history. Over seven hours long, destroying the previous record of just about five hours long, a little bit more than that. Dolphins are 1-0, headed to play the New York Jets on Sunday, who are also 1-0. Very impressive showing by the New York Jets. If the Jets are really as good as they looked, or was it more so the Lions? I'm personally going to lean towards the Lions are bad, but by no means are the Jets a slouch either. Of course, it's a rival game. You never know which way those are going to turn. We have the Dolphins, for example who have beaten the Patriots when the Patriots have won the Super Bowl that year and the Dolphins have been doing nothing. But we'll get all to all that in just a moment. In our view. As we record this show here on September 11th, this coming out Wednesday morning on September 12th, but we're sitting here on September 11th recording this show. 17 years ago today, the world was changed forever. America was changed forever. And as the airplanes and the terrorists attacked America on our own soil, and I just remember how it's in Sutton, 10th grade in high school, and I was just getting out of gym class, and we were standing around in the locker room waiting for the bell to ring. And my buddy says to me, uh, did you hear that some planes hit the World Trade Center in New York? And I was like, well, that's crazy. I'm thinking that these are just small passenger, not passenger planes, but, you know, the ones you fly up by yourself, the small ones, an accident. And then he said a few minutes later, another one hit the World Trade Center. And then I'm thinking, okay, what's going on? You know, we weren't really aware of terrorism at that point in time. And then we get to our next class and you can see the look of fear and panic on our teachers' faces. and we sat there the rest of the day, uh, just watching it on TV, watching it on the computer with our teachers, kind of explaining to us what's going on. And it was one of those moments people always said, JFK, when he was assassinated, they always said, I knew where I was. And for me and for you guys, we weren't alive when JFK was assassinated, so we can't relate to that. Then you look at today, 17 years ago, and I work in education. I don't work in the classroom, but I do communications for a school district that work in the office. But, you know, looking at our high school kids and, of course, down below, these kids weren't even born in 2001. And if they were born, they were less than a year or two years old. So they don't remember any of this. So for them, this is just a piece of history. So when we talk about 9-11, when we say never forget, when we say, do you remember when, when we say this changed America, these kids have grown up their entire life 
with America at war with terrorist groups. They don't know what it was like without it. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, this is an old man, get off my lawn. I walk to school in both ways, but it's an important moment in history. And just as, you know, JFK and all those other important moments in history where it needs to be told, it needs to be remembered. Kids need to know. Everyone needs to know. Just a sad day, but we here at Finside Radio obviously remember all those whose lives were lost, all those who dedicated themselves to the rescue efforts. And Sun and Houts, you know, if you have any stories to share, if you have anything to say about this, go ahead. I was a freshman in college, and, you know, I'm from a small town in southeast Ohio, so it didn't affect me personally, but I can remember, you know, being in my college dorm room with people from Manhattan, people from the DC area who had family there. And I can just remember the feeling of powerlessness, just not knowing how to help or what was going on. And it was um, an emotion that's hard to reflect on. But like you said, I think it's an important one because it's something that has defined part of our, our evolution as a society. Yeah, and it's something that none of us will ever forget. I think I was in like home ec class or something in eighth or ninth grade, and it's just, you know, it, it all happened, and it was kind of to bring fear to Americans to kind of, you know, it it did the complete opposite. I mean, we came together as a country. We're stronger now than we ever were before, and uh, the terrorists definitely didn't win, and you just got to, like Kanata said, you look at those heroes that instead of running away from everything, they went in and, you know, saved lives and, it's just something that when you put into perspective, I mean, some people, like I said, th- these people aren't even alive. They weren't alive. It was part of history to them. But this is something that we lived in. Uh, I'm sure you guys were all fearful for your lives on that day. I, I live a little bit uh, close by to Three Mile Island. So I remember when it first happened, that was the first thing I thought was like, what is it? Is a plane going to come and crash into that? And just, you know, it's it's a memory that you'll never forget. And it made America better. So terrorists, you lose America forever. I remember all the sporting events after the NFL was considering canceling week two, but they went along with it. And and just the emotion, the togetherness, the connectedness, not only in football, but in baseball too. George Bush, the president at the time, coming out to throw the first pitch at Yankee Stadium, electrifying moment. Uh, The way everyone came together at that point in time. And then, you know, you go back and I don't want to intertwine football and, and today's football and then but it was just a perfect storyline, right? With the New England Patriots, with the team named Patriots in their football name, making it to the Super Bowl, being the ultimate underdog that year, going against a powerhouse like the St. Louis Rams at that time. And I just remember, you know, the Patriots weren't never that great at that time. They were always, they had Drew Bledsoe. They were just up and down, kind of like the Dolphins were, but the Dolphins, that was towards the end of them ruling the AFC East with Tom Brady coming into the fold. But I remember then, I, I, I couldn't believe it at the time, but I was rooting for the Patriots to win that Super Bowl because one, they were the underdog. And two, I just thought for America, you know, just they were the ultimate underdog. They were kind of like what America represented at that time, going up against a big powerhouse and, and just knocking them down. And that emotion of just everyone pulling for the Patriots. And it's funny, you know, look at 17 years later and no one except Patriots fans like the Patriots. If I knew at that time that was the start of their dynasty, I would have obviously rooted for the Rams. Wouldn't have changed the outcome at all. But, you know, everything that happened after 9-11 in sports and, and around the world was just amazing to watch. And so, you know, there's really no way 
easy way to transition into, you know, now what we go into week two of the NFL season. But as they did back in 2001, we will do so here. So let's look at week two against the New York Jets. First up, the media schedule for this coming week. For those who are interested in that, on Wednesday, practice at 1120. Adam Gase speaks to the media at 115 p.m. On Thursday, Adam Gase speaks to the media at 105 p.m. The coordinators will take the stand for the first time this regular season at 345 p.m. On Friday, 1220 p.m., Adam Gase speaks. Saturday, no media availability. The Dolphins will be traveling to MetLife Stadium. And on Sunday, of course, 1 p.m., against the New York Jets on CBS, the broadcasters, Kevin Harlan on the play-by-play, Rich Gannon, the color analyst, and Steve Tasker on the sideline. Miami Dolphins coming in with quite a bit of momentum, and it will be their first road trip of the 2018 season. In 2017, the team split the season series with each team winning its respective home game. The Jets, however, hold a 54-50-1 edge in the all-time series, However, Miami has won three of the past four after sweeping the series in 2016. Miami picked up right where it left off in one-score games, posting, of course, a 27-20 Week 1 victory versus the Titans. The Dolphins are 14-5 in one-score games in an eight-point margin or less in the Adam Gase era, which is 2016 to present. This includes a stretch of 12 straight wins in one-score games from September 25th, 2016 to October 22nd, 2017. And I know we'd all love those blowout games where you could just sit back and enjoy the ride. But man, it seems like Adam Gase likes to play it close. Uh, hopefully we see some blowout wins this year, but we have a long way to go. The Dolphins coming into this game, no stranger to having games move to weather as we saw last season. But again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Titans game, seven hours, eight minutes of real time, including three hours, 59 minutes of weather delays. And again, that previous record, five hours, 16 minutes on November 17th, 2013 between Chicago and Baltimore. So the Dolphins against the New York Jets, we're going to break down the pass offense, the pass defense, the run offense, the run defense. But going in, outs to the Jets game on Sunday, what are your initial thoughts after seeing the Jets put a whooping on the Lions on Monday Night Football? Yeah, I mean, after the Dolphins beat the Titans, it was a long game. But, I mean, I felt pretty confident heading into this one. I'm like, okay, the Jets, they're the Jets. We saw what they did last year. We thought they'd be some kind of, you know, it's a division game. But you still thought, based on the way the Dolphins played, that we had a serious chance. And we should probably go into MetLife and just beat them down. And then you see what they did to the Lions. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's the Lions being that bad because Sam Darnold looked like the truth. I mean, I tweeted out that picture, the pick six jersey, after he threw that interception right away. I think we were all laughing, but deep down we knew that Sam Darnold, the college player, what we saw on tape, he was going to be one hell of a pro quarterback, and that's what you saw as the game progressed, as he settled down. I mean, he's the real deal as much as we hate to admit it. Uh, I think he has a lot better chance of succeeding in being one of those, you know, top 10, top 15 quarterbacks than the guy up there in Buffalo. So uh, prior to last night's game, I definitely thought Miami had a, a big chance of just going in there and, you know, running the ball down their throat, throwing the ball, you know, just completely outplaying them. But after what they did to the Detroit Lions, I'm starting to second guess it. I think it's going to be one of those hard-nosed matchups that we've seen up there in MetLife. I remember going up there a few years ago. It was a Monday night game, and I think it was like a 13-10 to 10 game or something. It was just this defensive struggle 
Uh, the running backs didn't really do much, and I think that's what we're going to see here. The weather hopefully doesn't play too much of a factor into this. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a division rival. It's going to be a, a hard-nosed game, and I think the team that wants it the most is going to end up on top because Miami, they went there and they, they had a seven-hour game, but I don't know that it's really going to slow them down. I think they kind of gelled. It kind of brought the team together, and I think they're going to go out there and give it their all, and I think New York's going to do the same. So I'm excited to see what both teams can do, and I think they match up pretty good with one another. Yeah, you mentioned MetLife. Let's hope that this is more of the 2016 matchup than it was the 2017 matchup. I know coming into the 2017 game, I felt pretty confident about where we stood. We ended up getting, uh, I mean, there was no way to get into the game because we didn't really do anything. So uh, hopefully both teams come in give us a, a great matchup an AFC East division rival that you would expect have a knock them out drag it out type of game and come out of MetLife with a victory so let's jump right into it here against the New York Jets going into the pass offense Sutton Ryan Tannehill not a lot of people know this about Ryan Tannehill he has played some of his best football of his career under head coach Adam Gase the Dolphins are nine and five in games that Ryan Tannehill starts in the Gase era in 14 games with Gase calling plays for Tannehill, the Dolphins have connected on a 50-plus yard pass in eight of them. Tannehill had seven such games in 2016, which was tied for the NFL lead and a career high despite playing just 13 games. Remember, when everyone said that Tannehill could not throw the deep ball when Mike Wallace was here, and there were plenty of us, including myself and others, who said that it is not Tannehill, it is Wallace. And watch when Wallace leaves, everyone's going to say, oh, magically, Tannehill has improved his deep ball. Mike Wallace cannot track the deep ball. All right, so when Tannehill was throwing that deep ball to Mike Wallace, it was not Tannehill's fault. We saw Tannehill launch a complete missile to Kenny Stills, and that stat right there just says and proves that Tannehill can't throw the deep ball. But I regress. He averages 7.73 yards per attempt and has a 93.3 quarterback rating and 14 starts under Gase. His 7.73 yards per attempt since 2016 is seventh in the NFL in that span, a minimum of 300 attempts. That's top 10, boys. He's thrown at least one touchdown in eight consecutive games and at least two touchdowns in five of his last six contests. He's completed at least 70% of his passes in three straight games and five of his past six. Prior to his injury in week 14 of 2016, he posted three of his top five best quarterback ratings in his last five games. And in that season, he had the best quarterback rating of 93.5 and yards per attempt 7.7 in his career. In 2016, his 93.5 passer rating was, get this, the fourth best in team history. That includes Dan Marino and Bob Greasy and all the other greats and highest since 2008. Now, I mentioned Kenny Stills. That connection under Adam Gase in his offense has been huge. In the 14 games that two have played together since 2016, Stills has four touchdown receptions of 50-plus yards and eight touchdowns overall. Tannehill's 75-yard touchdown strike to Stills in week one was the second longest completion of Tannehill's career and second longest reception of Stills' career. Remember, Kenny Stills played with Drew Brees previously. Jakeem Grant, another guy to watch out for in this passing offense, in his final four games, since he started becoming more involved with the offense, in 2016, he totaled 10 receptions for 188 yards. That's an 18.8 average and two touchdowns. His five receptions in last week's game versus Tennessee led the team. Adam Gay said he wants to get Jakeem Grant more involved. So Sutton, after all that, after we saw Devontae Parker out and no one really noticed, and we have people now talking that saying, you're going to put Devontae Parker back on the field, you're going to make this wide receiver core worse. 
What are you seeing in this passing offense going up against the New York Jets? Well, a couple of my takeaways from the Jets-Lions game was the Jets didn't blitz that much first Matt Stafford, and I thought Matt Stafford had a terrible game, to be completely honest with you. I thought his reads were piss poor, and I didn't think he threw a very good ball. I didn't think he was very accurate either. So what happened was they they rushed four most of the time, and they're dropping seven. So with Ryan Tannehill, with the type of – Uh, east-west type of motions that we have with our route combinations, I think that favors us. I think we're going to have some space, and I think our offensive line is going to be able to block much better than the Detroit Lions offensive line was able to block. And I think we'll be able to to create a pocket if they come in with that same scheme. So, you know, what I'm more worried about going on the road for the first time this game is the volume of, of the crowd, is that going to interfere with our communication and stuff like that? Because you have Tannehill getting players lined up sooner. So now it's more of a communication game. You know, we get them out quick to their spots, but then we take a look and see what the defense is showing us. And then we're hopefully have these signals in place uh, where we're able to communicate non-verbally in a loud stadium like that and be able to move this offense like a well-oiled machine like we saw at times. I'm not saying that uh, we were perfect in week one versus the Tennessee Titans, but it looked like a a definite chemistry about the offense, and it did seem like the communication and the cohesiveness was pretty solid. So hopefully we're able to have that same type of offense uh, Sunday at MetLife. Moving over to the rushing offense for the Miami Dolphins, of course, Kenyon Drake leading the way last season. He became the featured back in week 13 versus the Broncos, and ever since then, he's second in the NFL in rushing with 492 yards on 105 carries. That's a 4.7 average. His 105 carries are tied for fourth in the league in that span. He's the second in the NFL with 125 offensive touches and third with 660 scrimmage yards in that span. Get this, boys. Rushing yards, week 13, 2017 to present as i just said two in the league he's right behind todd Gurley, and following him is kareem hunt Deion lewis and melvin gordon Kenyon drake looked explosive against the tennessee titans he was balanced by frank gore who is very close to going into number four in the all-time leading rushing list just 15 yards away he should get that very easily against the new york jets on Sunday, he's played in 113 consecutive games, most by an active running back and also the most by any active offensive skill player. Dude is 35 years old, runs like he's 2024. 20, how it's looking at this Jets defense, looking at the Dolphins rushing offense. How do you see that stacking up on Sunday? Yeah, you know, it's a bit misleading. We sit here and we talk about how Detroit uh, looked pretty bad and we weren't sure if, you know, the Jets were good or if it was Detroit just being bad. You look at what they did on the ground, 15 carries for 39 yards. I mean, that was with Theo Riddick, on Johnson, LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, Detroit's run game is abysmal. And, I mean, you look at what the Dolphins did on the ground. I mean, they went out there. I think they had over 100 yards rushing between Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore combined. Uh, you said it best. Frank Gore, he's that ageless wonder. He's a guy who just continues to, to run the rock. I think he was out there for 
18 reps on offense. He rushed the ball nine times for 61 yards, which is an average of 6.78 yards per carry. So, I mean, you got this guy who, when he's in the game, it seems like the Dolphins are calling his number. He did break off that 21-yard run, which kind of, you know, it kind of hindered those stats a little bit. But overall, I mean, Frank Gore, we were heading into the offseason. We were heading into preseason and games that started to count. And we saw what Adam Gase came out. He said, you know, uh, they're co-starters. And we all kind of laughed because we thought what Kenyon Drake did, what you said he did at the end of the last season, he was the best back in football in those last five games. So we thought, you know, that the reins are going to be handed over to Kenyon Drake. Uh, but ultimately, when it comes to running the football, it was almost split down the middle. Uh, Kenyon Drake did see a lot more of the, the reps. He got 74% of the Dolphins snaps or 46 reps. And he carried the ball 14 times, which was 30.4% of those reps for 48 yards. So his yards per average wasn't quite the same as Frank Gore. But, I mean, you saw when he had the football in his hand, he looked explosive. He was making those cuts. Uh, some of those things that you just see from the elite running backs in the NFL. So I think the only thing that can stop this run game is those players themselves. We've never seen Kenyon Drake carry the bulk of the carries for an entire 16-game season. And Frank Gore, I think he's up there at 35 years old. So uh, he's really close to history. This running back duo was one of the better uh, tandems in the NFL, in my opinion. And you see what they did on the ground last week, uh, the Jets. And I think that's a little bit skewed by what the – Detroit Lions are, and it's just a team who's terrible at running the ball. Uh, they have been since Barry Sanders left, it seems, and I'm not quite sure that, you know, uh, I don't think it was so much the Jets' great run defense as it was uh, as bad as the Lions are. So I think the Dolphins will have success on the ground. Best offensive line we've had. We've seen what they did last week. Uh, I'm excited to see what Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake can do on the ground this week. Holtz, we're going to stick with you here and ju- jump to the other side of the football here. I'm talking about the pass defense. The two guys locking it down, Xavier Howard, Rashad Jones, and also Bobby McCain, who had a very impressive game, didn't allow a completion his way the entire game, although there was that drop in the end zone where he got beat. Uh, I'm not going to say it was because of his coverage that the the Titans receiver dropped it in the end zone. That was just a bobble and a bad catch by him. But nonetheless, zero completions his way on Sunday. But Xavier Howard, last season, put the best two games of his young career in consecutive weeks during the home stretch against... Denver in week 13 and week 14 against New England. And that's really when he started coming out. That's when people started talking about him, about a true lockdown corner. Howard is the first cornerback in Dolphins history dating to last season to have multiple interceptions in consecutive games. He became the first player to intercept Patriots quarterback Tom Brady twice in the same game since Indianapolis's Mike Adams had two interceptions against him in November of 2014. Rashad Jones with Xavier Howard there, Rashad Jones wasting no time following up on his 2017 Pro Bowl season with an encore performance in week one of 2018 against the Titans on Sunday. Tied for the team lead with seven tackles, four solo, and intercepted two passes. The first multi-interception game of his career became the first Dolphins safety to pick off two passes in the same game since safety Sammy Knight did so in 2004 against the Patriots. His first interception off Marcus Mariota, came in the third quarter, was returned 26 yards. And, of course, the brouhaha happened after that with Taylor Lewan getting knocked unconscious. His second interception was off quarterback Blaine Gabbert in the fourth quarter. I think I could intercept a pass off Blaine Gabbert. With the Titans driving in an attempt to tie the game after 54-yard return, the Dolphins kicked a field goal to take a two-possession lead. I mentioned Bobby McCain. I mentioned Mika Fitzpatrick on the recap show. Mika Fitzpatrick. He made six tackles, three solo, and one pass defense in his first NFL game on Sunday. In 2017, Miami was just one of three teams to play eight rookies on defense and one of just six to have at least four rookies start games on defense. 
This year, similarly, they have Jerome Baker. They have Minka Fitzpatrick. Not as many as last year, but still the youth movement is alive. Minka Fitzpatrick paid lights out. Jerome Baker held his own. But I don't know how it's... I'm getting a little excited thinking about Xavier Howard and Bobby McCain being shut down corners. Minka in the slot. It's no secret I love Minka in center field, but I can totally get behind this trio of cornerbacks who could just make living hell for these opposing wide receivers moving forward. Yeah, a lot of the battle in camp was who was going to take that spot opposite of Xavier Howard. You see Bobby McCain, he played pretty well out there. And Minka Fitzpatrick, like you said, he deep is where you kind of want to hope he ends up eventually throughout his career. That free safety, that single high safety, that guy that kind of plays the middle and just makes plays on the football. But he's been playing a hell of a job at nickel corner. Uh, 75.6 rating from pro football folks. He's the best player on the field. Uh, according to their ratings. So, I mean, Minka, we all saw what he did on Sunday. He was all over the field. He was making plays, breaking up passes. He made that incredible goal line stand at the line. So uh, it's exciting to see a rookie, you know, especially a first-round pick, just come in and immediately take over. Uh, I think a lot of us thought he would soon become one of the better players on defense, and I think it's coming sooner than later. Um, But I'm excited to see some of these matchups. I mean, Robbie Anderson, he's a guy who – he only had one catch for 41 yards and a touchdown against Detroit, but he's got big play potential. And to see him going one-on-one with Xavier Howard, I mean, that should be one of those matchups where, you know, we saw Jalen Ramsey and o- Odell Beckham this weekend where people were just going crazy about. I'm excited to see our shutdown corner, Xavier Island, going up against Robbie Anderson. Another matchup, you got Quincy Nunwa going up against Mika Fitzpatrick. I think it was Armando that tweeted out today. Armando's a close friend of the show, but you saw what Quincy Nunwa did against Detroit. He had six receptions, 63 yards, and a touchdown. He's a guy that can work out of the slot, and you got Minka there who, according to Armando, he's going to be shouting him throughout the game. So that's one of those matchups I'm really excited to see. Jermaine Curse on the outside by McCain. I mean, they got weapons, but one thing they don't have is a tight end. I mean, we remember those, those days with the Dustin Kellers and I think it was last year they had uh, I can't even remember his name, but but this year they got a guy named Eric Tomlinson, and Eric Tomlinson should not beat this defense. Uh, they should be able to match him up with Kiko Alonso, Raekwon McMillan, Jerome Baker. They should be able to shut down the tight end. So I'm excited to see what the secondary can do. We didn't even mention Rashad Jones or TJ McDonald roaming around beneath. So I mean Rashad Jones, he had two interceptions last week. Why can't he have three this week? So uh, I'm excited to see the way this defense matches up and. I really would like to see more out of the pass rush, and I know Sutton's going to touch on that, but uh, they got to the quarterback a little bit last week, but we'd like to see him get there sooner to make things easier for that secondary. Yeah, I think Robert Quinn versus Kelvin Beecham, uh, Beecham being the left tackle for the Jets, I think Quinn's going to be able to win that matchup, so I think we're going to make things a little bit more uncomfortable for Darnold than Detroit was able to. But uh, with Darnold specifically, I believe how it's called him the truth earlier in the show. And I have to disagree just a little bit, just because I didn't really think he made that many terrific throws on Monday night. Now, he ended up with a decent stat line. Don't get me wrong. And the the long pass, that was a solid pass. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But even on that long pass, you saw a safety kind of flat-footed in the background looking looking in the backfield a little bit and letting a player get behind him. So, yes, Sam Darnold took advantage of his situation, but it was not a pinpoint accuracy type of throw. He did have a a really good throw on third down where he threw into a tight window on a drag route, but I didn't really see that many throws that impressed me. The second touchdown throw that he had was just a quick little five-yard out. He was pretty open, and he made some moves and got into the end zone, and then – 
you know, you see the Jets score 48 points, so you think, oh, Sam Darnold's led this really prolific offense. But no, that's not really what I saw on the tape. Um, so I, I, I think we have the better quarterback going into Sunday is what I'm trying to get at. So I think we're going to be okay on that front. Son, going into the run defense for the Miami Dolphins, we know that has not been their strongest suit over the past few years. Against the Titans, they gave up 116 yards on the ground, 75 to Deion Lewis, 26 to Derrick Henry, 15 to Marcus Mariota. Derrick Henry had a 65-yard touchdown called back on a holding call, and usually when that happens, you can see the replay and see that, okay, if this guy didn't hold, he would have made that tackle. The uh, I forget who the offensive player was, but he was holding Jerome Baker, and it did not look like Jerome Baker would have been able to take Derrick Henry down with that hold. So Dolphins getting a gift there. If if they didn't, that would have been almost 200 yards rushing on the ground for the Tennessee Titans. Bilal Powell for the New York Jets runs very, very well. Also throwing Isaiah Crowell there, who also runs very well, very hard. While the Dolphins may be strongest suited in the past defense game, their weakness is the run defense. When you're looking at these Jets running backs, and when you're looking at these Dolphins linebackers and Dolphins defensive line up front, built to play with a lead, built to rush the passer. If the Jets control the clock, if they control the ground game, we've seen the Jets do it in the past. So when you look at this rush game of the Jets with Powell and Crowell, and you look at the Dolphins' defense, do you think the Dolphins have a shot at stopping these guys and making the Jets one-dimensional? So one thing I noticed, uh, kind of a peculiar thing I noticed about the Jets' attack against the Lions on Monday night, there was a lot of jet sweep motion. I don't know if you guys noticed that too, but real quick, just to differentiate what a jet sweep is with typical motion, a jet sweep is a motion from a wide receiver, anybody that's flanked out really, that is made to to almost cross with the line of where the quarterback's getting the snap. So you can have a fake handoff motion kind of directly with the snap. So that's what the jet sweep is designed to do is kind of create a freeze with that linebacker group, much like any type of play action motion would, would go. But I think with that, I I think you see that in week two also. So it's going to test our East West gap integrity. And uh, we had mentioned that in the preseason, seeing a couple things, making sure that was short up. I, I did see that a better integrity week one against the Tennessee Titans. I think we were mostly there. So we're going to have to be ready to move horizontally. And I think that favors our linebacker group, to be honest with you. The the Jets rushing game against Detroit was more of a manifestation of Isaiah Curl breaking tackles and being good at that than it was run blocking. I didn't see tremendous run blocking. I would say average at best. So I do think, you know, especially if William Hayes and Vincent Taylor, all hands are on deck there. Some of our better run defenders are are going to be okay with this rushing attack. Uh, one concern that I do have is Sam Darnold did look pretty comfortable outside of the pocket, and I do think that he might be able to uh, break some plays with his legs, so we're going to have to be ready for that part of his game. Uh, but if we're able to, like I said, be able to move east and west with that jet sweep motion and be ready for some of those types of looks. I think we're going to be in a great position. I I think our defensive line has the upper hand against the Jets offensive line.
prediction time here on Finside Radio. How it's Sutton. Let's give it our predictions. I am going to start off. It's really a toss-up for me. And I, I don't know. I, I hate to say. I, let me put it this way. If the Dolphins lose on Sunday, I won't be surprised. I won't be shocked. If the Dolphins do lose, I hope it's a close one. I hope they go out kicking and screaming. Again, it's a rivalry game. The Jets are coming off a huge high against the Lions. They're at home. It's their home opener. It wouldn't shock me at all if the Dolphins lost. Um, it wouldn't shock me if the Dolphins won. But if the Dolphins go out of this losing, kicking, and screaming, I'm not going to be totally upset. How Sutton? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, it's it's one of those matchups where they play each other hard each and every time. So it's kind of a toss-up, and you kind of want to almost lean towards the Jets at home. So uh, for me, I won't go that route. I'm going to give you a score. I'm going to go 24-23 Dolphins. I think Jason Sanders, we're finally going to stay at big leg. We keep hearing about Duke can't kick a ball into the end zone for a touchback, but he's going to hit a 52-yard field goal to win the game. So 24-23, but I'm with Kanata. I mean, I think this game go either way, and based on the way the Jets played on Monday night, uh, it's going to be a lot tougher than we anticipated. I'm going to go 23-16 Dolphins. I think that what we saw week one was that Bowles is going to have his defense in a really good spot to to limit the offense, and I think we're going to have to resort to some field goals. I'm not saying that even the offense scores two touchdowns, but uh, I think we get at least one, and maybe we get one through special teams or turnovers or something like that. So uh, we'll see what happens there, but I think we're going to be able to stymie them on offense, so I think they're going to have to resort to field goals too. So I think we do just enough and get a victory, get out of MetLife with a 23-16 victory. And I just do want to address one more thing. We had a question from Rob Carruth. And I, and I, Carruth! Carruth! And we kind of mentioned it during the show a little bit, but he asked you know, who we thought the most disappointing players were coming out of week one against the Tennessee Titans. And so, uh, House, if you just want to take care of that question real quick before we wrap up the show. I know people are going to hate me, but I'm going to say Mike Jasicki. I mean, I didn't get a chance yeah. to look at the tape, but, I mean, it seemed like he couldn't get off the blocks. I'm not going to blame that fade on him because that was just a terrible throw from Tannehill. But overall, you would like to see more out of your second-round pick. I mean, I know tight ends take a little bit to, you know, get accustomed to the NFL speed and game, but it just sounded. And uh, I think when you look at the tape, it's going to be, you know, him just getting beat at the line. So you would hope to see more from him. And Sutton, who, who impressed you the most off of week one? Who impressed me the most out of week one? Probably Minka. I mean, let's be honest. This is our first round draft pick who was making plays that we're not used to to seeing, getting um, just the east-west coverage that he's able to, to do for us and to be able to man multiple positions for us. And he, he looked really good out there. He looks the part. He looks comfortable out there. He looks like a leader. All these things that we've heard about him. I saw evidence of that week one. Dolphins versus Jets week two. Both teams coming in one and oh. It'd be amazing if the Dolphins pull off this victory against the Jets in their home stadium. Go two and oh with the Oakland Raiders coming across the coast to go three and oh. And then the showdown with the New England Patriots. That'd be a huge game, folks. But got to take one game at a time. Got to win the game versus the Jets. Then got to win the game versus the Raiders one week, one day, one game at a time. That's going to do it for us here on Fin Insider Radio 4. Certain the creepy soccer dad and helps MD. I am MC Money. We'll talk to you Sunday night. That was 
Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.